Chapter 46 of Balsamo the Magician by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Terrible Wedding Night The Dauphine opened the door of the anteroom before the wedding chamber. The Archduchess was waiting in a long white wrapper with the strange anticipation on her brow, along with the sweet expectation of the bride of some disaster. She seemed menaced with one of those terrors which nervous dispositions foresee and support sometimes with more bravery than if not awaited. Lady Noailles was seated by the gilded couch which easily held the princess's frail and dainty body. The maids of honor stood at the back, waiting for the mistress of the attendants to make them the sign to withdraw. These were all ignorant that the Dauphine was coming by a new way in. As the corridor was empty and the door at the end ajar, he could see and hear what went on in the room. "'In what direction does my lord the Dauphine come?' inquired the Austrian's pure and harmonious voice, though slightly tremulous. "'Yonder,' replied Lady Noaille, pointing just the wrong way. "'What is that noise outside, not unlike the roaring of angry waters?' "'It is the tumult of the innumerable sightseers,' "'walking about under the illumination "'and waiting for the fireworks display.' "'The illuminations,' said the princess with a sad smile. "'They must have been timely this evening, "'for did you not notice it was very black weather?' "'At this moment the Dauphine, who was tired of waiting, "'thrust his head in at the door and asked if he might enter. "'Lady Noailles screamed, for she did not recognize the intruder at first. The Dauphiness, worked up into a nervous state by the incidents of the day, seized the Duchess's arm in her fright. "'It is I, madame. Have no fear,' called out the prince. "'But why by that way?' said Lady Noailles. "'Because,' explained Louis the king, showing his head at the half-open door, "'because the Duke of Vaugillon knows so much Latin, mathematics, and geography,' as to leave room for nothing else. In presence of the king so untimely arrived, the Dauphiness slipped off the couch and stood up in the wrapper, clothed from head to foot like a vestal virgin in her stole. "'Anyone can see that she is thin,' muttered the king. "'What the deuce made Choiseul pick out the skinny chicken among all the polais of European courts?' "'Your majesty were pleased to observe,' That I acted according to the strict etiquette, said the Duchess of Noailles. The infraction was on my lord, the Dauphine's part. I take it on myself, so let us leave the children to themselves, said the monarch. The princess seized the lady's arm with more terror than before. Oh, don't go away, she faltered. I shall die of shame. Sire, the Dauphiness begs to be allowed to go to rest without any state, said Lady Noaille. The deuce! And does Lady Etiquette herself crave that? Look at the Archduchess. In fact, Marie Antoinette, standing up, pale and with her rigid arm sustaining her by a chair, resembled a statue of fright, but for the slight chattering of her teeth and the cold perspiration bedewing her forehead. "'Oh, I should not think of causing the young lady any pain,' 
said Louis the Fifteenth, as little strict about forms as his father was the other thing. Let us retire, Duchess. Besides, the doors have locks. The Dauphin blushed to hear these words of his grandfather, but the lady, though hearing, had not understood. King Louis the Fifteenth embraced his granddaughter-in-law and went forth with Lady Noaya, laughing mockingly and sadly for those who did not share his merriment. The other persons had gone out by the other door. The wedded pair were left alone in silence. At last, the young husband approached his bride with bosom beating rapidly. To his temples, breast, and wrist he felt all his repressed blood rushing hotly, but he guessed that his grandfather was behind the door, and the cynical glance still chilled the Dauphin, very timid and awkward by nature. "'You are not well, madame,' he stammered. "'You are very pale, and I think you are trembling. "'I cannot conceal that I am under a spell of agitation. "'There must be some terrible storm overhead, "'for I am peculiarly affected by thunderstorms.' "'Indeed, she shook by spasms as though affected by electrical shocks. "'At this time,' As though to justify her assertion, a furious gust of wind, such as shear the tops off mountains and heap up half the sea against the other, the first whoop of the coming tempest filled the palace with tumult, anguish, and many a creaking. Leaves were swept off the branches, branches off the boughs and from the trees. Along an immense clamor was drawn from the hundred thousand spectators in the gardens, a lugubrious and endless bellowing ran through the corridors and galleries, composing the most awful notes that had ever vibrated in human ears. Then, an ominous rattling and jingling succeeded the roar. It was the fall of countless shivers of glass out of the window panes on the marble slabs and cornices. At the same time, the gale had opened one of the shutters and banged it to and fro like a wings of a bird of night. Wherever the window had been open, and where the glass was shivered, the lights were put out. The prince went over to the window to fasten the broken shutter, but his wife held him back. "'Oh, pray, do not open that window, for the lights will be blown out, and I should die of fright.' He stopped. Through the casement beyond the curtain which he had drawn, the treetops of the park were visible, swayed from side to side as if some unseen giant were waving them by the stems. All the illuminations were extinguished. Then could be seen on the dark sky still blacker clouds coming on with a rolling motion like troops of cavalry wrapped in dust. The pallid prince stood with one hand on the sash handle. The bride sank on a chair with a sigh. "'You are very much alarmed, madame.' "'Yes, though your presence supports me. Oh, what a storm!' All the pretty lights are put out. Yes, it is a southwest wind, always the worst for storms. If it holds out, I do not know how they will be able to set off the fireworks. What would be the use of them? Everybody will be out of the gardens in such weather. You do not know what our French are when there is a show. They cry for the pyrotechnics, and this is to be superb. The pyrotechnists showed me the sketches— there, look at the first rockets. Indeed, brilliant as long, fiery serpents, the trial rockets rushed up into the clouds. But at the same time, 
as if the storm had taken the flash as a challenge. One stroke of lightning seeming to split the sky snaked among the rockets ascending and eclipsed their red glare with its bluish flaring. Verily, it is impiety for man to contest with God, said the archduchess. The trial rockets had preceded the general display by but a few minutes, as the pyrotechnist felt the need of hastening, and the first set pieces were fired and were hailed with a cheer of delight. But as though they were really a war between man and heaven, the storm, irritated by the impiety, drowned with its thunder the cheers of the mobs, and all the cataracts on high opened at once. Torrents of rain were precipitated from the cloudy heights, in like manner to the wind putting out the illuminations, the rain put out the fireworks. "'What a misfortune! The fireworks are spoilt,' said the Dauphine. "'Alas, everything goes wrong since I entered France,' said Marie Antoinette. "'This storm suits the feast that was given me. It was wanted to hide from the people the miseries of this dilapidated palace of Versailles. So... Blow, you southwest wind, spout rain, pile yourselves together, tempestuous clouds, to hide from my eyes the paltry, tawdry reception given to the daughter of the Kaisers when she laid her hand in that of the future king. The visibly embarrassed Dauphine did not know what answer to make to this, these reproaches, and particularly this exalted melancholy so far from his character— he only sighed. "'I afflict you,' continued she. "'But do not believe that my pride is speaking. "'No, no, it is no wise in it. "'Would that they had only shown me the pretty little Trianon, "'with its flower gardens and smiling shades. "'The rain will but refresh it, "'the wind but open the blossoms. "'That charming nest would content me. "'But these ruins—' frighten me so repugnant to my youth and yet how many more ruins will be created by this frightful storm a fresh gust worse than the first shook the palace the princess started up aghast oh heavens tell me that there is no danger she moaned i shall die of fright there is no fear madame versailles is built on terraces so as to defy the storm if lightning fell, it would only strike yonder chapel with its sharp roof, or the little tower which has turrets. You know that peaks attract the electric fluid, and flat surfaces repel them. He took her frozen, yet palpitating hand. Just then a vivid flash inundated the room with its violet and livid glare. She uttered a scream and repulsed her husband. Oh, you looked in the lurid gleam like a phantom, pale, headless and bleeding it is the mirage caused by the sulphur said the prince i will explain but a deafening peal of thunder cut short the sentence of the phlegmatic prince lecturing the royal spouse come come madame let us leave such fears to the common people physical agitation is one of the conditions of nature a storm and this is no more is one of the most frequent and natural phenomena. I do not know why people are surprised at them. I should not quail so much at another time, but for a storm to burst on our wedding night. 
another awful forewarning joined to those heralding my entry into france my mother has told me that this century is fraught with horrors as the heavens above are charged with fire and destruction madame no dangers can menace the throne to which we shall ascend for we royalties dwell above the common plain the thunder is at our feet and we wield the bolts alas something dreadful was predicted me or rather shown to me in a dish of water it is hard to describe what was utterly novel to me a machine reared on high like a scaffold two upright beams between which glided an axe of odd shape i saw my head beneath this blade it descended in my head severed from the body leapt to the earth this is what i was shown pure hallucination said the scoffer there is no such an instrument in existence so be encouraged alas i cannot drive away the odious thought you will succeed marie said the dauphin drawing nearer beside you will be an affectionate an assiduously protective husband at the instant when the husband's lips nearly touched the wife's cheek the picture gallery door opened again and the curious covetous look of king louis the fifteenth penetrated the place but simultaneously a crash of which no words can give an idea resounded through the palace a spout of white flame streaked with green dashed past the window but shivered a statue on the balcony then after a prodigious ripping and splitting sound it bounded upward and vanished like a meteor out went the candles the dauphin staggered back dazed and frightened to the very wall the dauphiness fell half swooned on the step of her praying desk and dwelt in deadly torpor believing the earth was quaking under him louis the fifteenth regained his rooms followed by his faithful valet in the morning versailles was not recognizable the ground had drunk up the deluge and the trees absorbed the sulphur everywhere was mud and the broken boughs dragging their blackened lengths like scorched serpents louis the fifteenth went to the bridal chamber for the third time and looked in he shuddered to see at the praying stand the bride pale and prone with the aurora tinging her spotless robe like a magdalene of rubens on a chair with his velvet slippers in a puddle of water the dauphin of france sat as pale as his wife and with the same air of having faced a nightmare the nuptial bed was untouched louis the fifteenth frowned a never-before-experienced pain ran through his brow cooled by egotism even when debauchery tried to heat it he shook his head sighed and returned to his apartments full of grim forebodings over the future which this tragic event had marked on its brow what dread and mysterious incidents were enfolded in its bosom it will be our mission to disclose in the sequel to this book entitled the mesmerous victim end of chapter 46 recording by john van stan savannah georgia end of the first volume of the marie antoinette romances balsamo the magician by alexander dumas 
translated by Henry L. Williams. Thank you for listening.